three, two, one, go. Hey, I'm Katie. Hey, I'm Chris. And welcome to the Product versus Engineering Podcast. Hey, thanks for coming back. We hope you enjoyed episode one, where we talked about how we got started in product and engineering and what we want to achieve with this podcast. Today, we'll be discussing what product is, and you'll get a front row seat to how engineering thinks about it. Okay, Katie. So we talked last time about what we're going to talk about in this these next set of podcasts, and the first one up is what is product and why should I care? <laughs> so convince you that you should care about product? Yeah, change my mind. Change your mind. Okay. So last time we chatted about like overall what is what is the product function? Like what do we do? Right? Um and I will say that you'll get a number of different answers from many different people within product management. But how I would say how I would define the product function is um it's we identify and understand customer and user problems, and then we collaborate with engineering design to create solutions and products that align with business needs and strategy and are profitable. Okay. So that's Can a high talk level. Talk a little overview. bit about so, how do you get to the intersection of customer problem and business need? Because there's always customer problems. How do you always? How do you? Yeah. How do you Venn diagram need bi- customer need, business need, and profitability? So typically, I mean, we there is there is a Venn that we use, right? And it's um, desirability, feasibility, and viability, and that's essentially what I'll what I'll step through. Um, but within that. Right. And that touches on the business, touches on the customer within that. There's a lot that happens. And so I think I'll just walk through kind of let's just assume that we're creating a new product and how for for a B2C company, because that will just be easy. I'm not going to get into B2B. There's a lot of nuances there and things will. Do you think there's overlap between B2B and B2C? Oh, there, there absolutely is, um, but there are, I would say the B2B, the, the big difference for me anyways, is that the cycle for B2B is much longer than B2C. Not always, but much longer because I feel, at least I've experienced more bureaucracy when I'm in companies that are B2B, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, I feel like... Measurement. So I feel like measurement in particular in B2B kind of lacks versus B2C. It does. It does. Yeah. Like you're very focused on funnel and metrics and measures that you're constantly trying to move versus B2B, which is more long sales cycle. Exactly. Fit customer fit demo solutioning. Yep. Right. That's a big one to me, like new one to me with a customer. Mm -hmm. um you know especially spending 20 some odd years in b2c yeah yeah it is quite different and you know i just um somebody just put a book out about how to do product in b2b and that's just a sorely like we need more help in that space product needs more help in that space and so you get into organizations that are b2b and they're typically not product-led organizations like there's all kinds of fun who do you think who do you think does b2b product well if you think of the companies you know the big ones who do you think does that well i think it's incredibly hard to judge how some how well somebody does product because what are you measuring it on are you measuring it on what they put in the market are you measuring it on how good their product is like what is the measurement of good for product. That's fair. From from my perspective, I want to know how product operates within that organization to say how good or not good <laughs> they are at product. Right? 
because because there are plenty of companies trust me there are plenty of companies who put out really great great products that don't do very well at product and and that sometimes it has happened in the past for me where it's kind of blown my mind i get into an organization I'm like how how do you get anything out with the way things operate right but yet some of these companies are making billions and billions of dollars right so something works but it's it's typically not the optimal product process so it's interesting you say i don't know like there's a lot of i've been in a lot of conversations recently where it's like mvp right like this Mm -hmm. minimum viable product everybody runs around screaming mvp i wanted mvp yeah and what people misunderstand what viability means there it's not will it work like there there's this over index on get it to work and we'll get it out what does viable mean in your particular spot right like this is definitely not a one-size-fits-all kind of thing yeah and i think that's i think that's true everywhere right you have a collection of people that know what they're doing like in general Mm -hmm. they know what they're doing right Mm -hmm. and you're trying to like you're just trying to rally people around trying to get that stuff done right like i just because you I've seen products so many different ways. I've seen requirements gathering so many different ways. Mm-hmm. And like what the best ones for me are the ones that understand understand the craft and how it applies to the problem inside the company, right? That's where I feel like people are successful, right? Yeah. Like you go look at where where they where where i work today you go look at where they were you know where you work today like those mm-hmm. processes are different for a variety of reasons and mm-hmm. you know and it's what scale are you at right it's different if it's early on and you don't have a lot of paying yes. customers and you're trying to find product market fit versus you're trying to scale a business yeah oh yeah yeah and i think you know that that is why when you ask a product person how does this work you know, the first response you're going to get is it depends because it truly depends on a lot of those factors you just mentioned. Right. So like if we just assume we're building something brand new for a B2C company, this will be this will be an easy kind of like I'll, I'll present this linearly and we can chat through it, um, but it'll be easy to explain. At a high level, what we should be, what product should be doing so. Typically, you want to start with discovery and discovery can be done a number of ways, right? So those can be user interviews. It can be user feedback of some other form. It could be social listening. It could be surveys. It could be that you've identified a problem in the market and now you're going to validate that with your users, whatever it might be. There's some form of discovery that happens at the front in order to identify problems and help you empathize, empathize with the user. And that's key because if you don't do that and you're just delivering on some feature that leadership has told you, how do you know if you're even answering the question of their problem? I mean, giving them a solution to their problem, right? So it starts with discovery and that main objective is just to uncover problems worth solving. Once you've identified some problems, then you want to develop a hypothesis or hypotheses, right? So how can, can we I ask solve you a this question problem? real quick though sure who's involved in the discovery so before you get to hypothesis yeah who's involved because i've seen i've seen it a whole different way like who's involved and what have you seen work and what have you seen not work i think i've seen all versions of this um what typically works is when you have you have a product person you have a design person you have somebody from engineering so you've got the three main practices, in my opinion, represented. Um, And then you could have other people throughout the organization represented as well, right? So you could have somebody from customer support, you could have somebody from legal, whatever it might be. It just depends on what kind of discovery you're doing, right? So if it's a company where we're going through feedback from support, or we're going through surveys, or we're kind of 
pulling from the organization, like what problems have you encountered throughout your time here, right? So sales, support, whatever it might be, um, those people will be involved. It just depends. But in my opinion, the minimum should be product design and engineering. And if we're talking about something brand new, that should be led by like, okay, product, like take these people, let's go find some people we need to talk to. We know they have problems and start having the conversation. If design and engineering aren't in that discovery process, okay. Um, I've seen that happen too. And then it is the product manager's um, responsibility to relay, these are the problems that we have. Um, here are the things that we believe are worth solving. And then they can come in to that discussion around what is the hypothesis? What are the solutions that we could create to solve these problems? If they're not in that solution discussion, that hypothesis discussion, it's gonna be a lot harder in the process to get them on board because then you're gonna have a bigger thing to sell to them and getting that buy-in is not gonna be as easy as it would be if you just bring them along throughout the process. So my belief in the way that I've worked and the way that I've successfully worked is to involve people as early and as often as possible. So I would put them in here, if not into discovery. Does that answer your okay. question? Okay. So you've gone through discovery, you've got some worthy problems, you're gonna try to determine some hypotheses, right? How do we solve this? Um, and as I mentioned, like this is a place to bring in design and engineering and say, these are the problems. How can we solve these, right? This shouldn't just be the onus of the product manager. Sometimes we feel like it is, but it, sh it shouldn't be, and it shouldn't be done in a vacuum. Cause then you get in from design, you get it in front of <laughs> engineering and, they have their opinion about it and you usually have to go back to the drawing board. So as you're going through discovery and this, the hypothesis creation, essentially, you want to identify your, identify and define your user persona. So who are we solving the problem for? Because if you don't know who, it's pretty worthless. Um, once you've got some ideas together, you wanna take those ideas and have them validated somehow. So you wanna put these in front of users um, to get feedback. And the overarching question is, will this hypothetical solution solve your problem that you told us that you have? If so, fantastic. We can continue moving through the process and go into concept testing. If not, why doesn't this meet it? And what feedback can we take back to incorporate into new hypotheses? Any questions there? No. Okay. <laughs> so let's assume our feedback was great our hypotheses were good and we can take this into concept testing this is where you're gonna essentially determine product desirability and feasibility so you can do concept te concept testing um, multiple ways right but prototyping is typically the way that you do that you can do it with paper prototypes you can do low fidelity high fidelity clickable it just depends on how much time you have and how quickly you need to move, right? So you go through that process, create a prototype that you can put in front of a user, get feedback on, and incorporate that feedback into what you're like mentally or potentially, you're writing this down by this point, um, what your MVP could be, right? So you've got some feedback and you've got an idea, um, but your main goal through the concept testing and the validation of that is to determine how desirable that solution is. If it's not, then you're going back, you're updating, right? You're working that feedback into another iteration of the prototype and you're validating that again. And all of this is in the effort of essentially mitigating risk, like we've talked about before, right? So yeah, if when I can do, you do pull this early trigger? in the process. Like when do you pull the trigger, right? Like, cause here I'm thinking about like, ideally, you mm -hmm. want engineering as involved up front. I don't like, I think you need to get as close as possible, but I don't think they need to be in the kitchen day one. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's too not, expensive. It is. Right? Like it, it gets yeah. too expensive. And if they're, if, if somebody's doing this, they're not doing something else. Right. So 
how do yeah. you how do you quickly get through you know there's got to be some set of feasibility like is this customer problem we're solving prior to mm -hmm. that particular stuff once you've engaged more than just the product manager the cost inevitably scales up right so yeah. you want to be pretty good by the time you get to paper prototypes that this is a problem worth solving at some absolutely level. you shouldn't be prototyping against a solution or a problem that's not worth solving and so so i guess your question is how do you know if it's worth solving yeah because i think that got skipped in in this at least i didn't hear it like you, you get the customer pain you're you're always trying to figure out feasibility right like it's always yeah. is it feasible is it feasible Mm -hmm. You have a set of things and mm -hmm. I think engaging in engineering of here's what we're thinking. What do you think some of the solutions is, is this possible? Like, are we trying to put, right? you know, a person on Mars, right? So, yeah, it's possible, so that was, but it's hard. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's what right. you want to know because that goes into, that goes into the grand calculus of whether or not this thing is actually going to make money. Right. So, so essentially that is my next question after prototyping right like mm. engineering in my mind this is like a solution architect who is helping through the who is there through this process because that's what i've experienced in the past and those questions and conversations are happening as concept testing is happening right so design or somebody in user research could go off and take the prototypes and get them tested and bring the feedback back to product um or product could be involved in that testing as well. Product could be running that testing. It just depends on the organization and what kind of resources you have. So, but you're right. In the midst of that, the conversation of feasibility is absolutely happening. If it's not happening, it should be happening, right? So you should be asking the questions of like, okay, so you have an idea of what we wanna do. Is this possible with the technology that we have today or is this going to require some sort of investment, right? I'm always hopeful that we can use something we currently have because it's typically cheaper. So, so yeah, so you, so you've, you've got your concept tested, you've got the feasibility conversation going on. Once the concept testing is complete, the product manager should have a really good view of things like what that initial MVP is, should be coming into focus. Um, they should be able to have like a product vision and a value proposition. Um, but what I also want to say is that those things may shift as they as they move along, right? So you're kind of putting a stake in the ground, like this is where I think we need to be. And as you go through and you gather more information, that that will shift inevitably. Just it always will. So beyond this, you want to measure product viability. And I think this is where you were a little bit earlier. And essentially, product viability is when we determine the business potential for that solution or that product. Um, so is there a market for it? And will that product be profitable for the organization? So in, so in order to determine that, um, we need to have like a competitive analysis. Sometimes product manager has to do that. Other times they have somebody who does that for them. You wanna understand, um, is anyone else solving this problem? If so, who is it? How do they do it? How much do they charge? All of that sort of things. What features do they have, et cetera. Um, then you want to understand the size of the market. Can you do this after feasibility? It so in my mind, it's not like, it, like a it lengthy seems... conversation of feasibility, mm -hmm. right? This is like, can we do this or can we not do this? Like, how big is this or how small is this? To your yeah, point, I guess right? it feels. I, I guess my perception. I'll just say my perception, right? Mm -hmm. Like before you start engaging resources, I guess. I guess it depends. Is it a new thing that's not in the market? or is not well understood in the market, like mm -hmm. a brand new feature, like that mm -hmm. I can understand, right? Mm -hmm. If it's a me too feature, right? Mm -hmm. Then it feels like some of this is just sort of shooketing because you now need, you know, everybody's kind of constantly got to keep up with the market and the competitors and that kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. It can be a different take on what somebody else does. Yeah. Right. Because like I'm I'm sitting here thinking and I'm like, how do I like how do you get to the answer before you get too far down? And I don't know how long this is, so bear with me. But, but 
before you get too far down that says you want to do it or you don't just based on the market, like the Sam Tam conversation. Yeah. So that's right. what product viability is, right? You're trying to understand that. I think once you have determined that, once you've determined what is the competition, what is the market, you should be able to have a conversation of this is worth it or this isn't worth it. And that to me doesn't take very long, but it could also take quite a long time, right? It just depends on the organization. Yeah, I guess the I guess my 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 question or push here is 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 it before or after concept testing? You can't well, it depends, right? So if someone else is doing the concept testing for me, then I can go do viability. If someone's if I'm having to do the concept testing, I don't know that I'm going to be able to do a competitive analysis and a market analysis at the same time. You see what I'm saying? So some of this stuff can happen in parallel if you've got people who can focus on it. But if it's a single product manager. Yeah, I guess I'm just depends. wondering, do you do you suss out market? Like if somebody else is doing it, clearly it's feasible. It may not be it may be yeah. unpalatable for us to do the investment. Like we right. can't get there because of X, Y, and Z. Right. I'm just wondering, like because as you add more people, the cost inherently goes up and you, you're trying to constantly shift things left. I was just kind of curious because you went to this concept testing place, like mm -hmm. how that happens in relation to visibility. Yes, things can be parallel. Totally understand yeah. that, right? Yeah. But do you, because some of those can be really expensive. Like user testing is not cheap, right? It's not cheap, like, but you can do it pretty lean. I mean, especially, let's just say this is like a, a new feature for an existing company right so you've got you've got customer base right like you can easily go out and talk to customers or i mean if it's well we said b2c right so you can go do some social stuff like there are lean okay. ways of getting of getting user feedback it doesn't have to be this super expensive thing and i think that's the thing where some product people get hung up right and there are product product people, product leaders who talk about, like, you should be talking to a customer every single day. And when some people, some, some product people think about that, they're like, how? But there's ways to do it, right? So all of this yeah, I think can there's be... ways to do it. I think the question, you always have more ideas than you can actually execute on. That will always sure. be the case. Sure. Always. Like, I've never yeah. been a place where there's never been, you know, more mouths yeah. to feed than we can actually feed, right? Like, yeah. so like, I guess the you know, from the, I'll say from the VP of engineering perspective, right? I was always pushing on, like, give me more locked and loaded rather than I think this might work. Like, we'll give you feasibility on whether or not things can be built. And generally the answer is sure, we can build it. Mm -hmm. But we won't, like, in, at, at this point in the discussion, you don't know how long that's going to take. Right. You can say, oh, well, that's big. Or, hey, we have some stuff that might work. Right. Right. I'm just kind of, I'm curious about, because there's, I got to believe, you tell me if I'm wrong, I got to believe there's a list of ideas that have feasibility attached to them before you go down this process, right? Like you're weeding out a bunch of things. And some of those are based on, I guess, my question to you, some of those things are based on market viability versus not, right? If a yeah. competitor does it, it's easy, right? Then it's a question of, can we price it and can we build it? Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious because like, you don't see everything, right? Engineering doesn't see everything. No. Right. They see a curated list of things we think are good, right? right. That are viable. And I'm just trying to, like the order of things, I'm just trying to well, and, get and clear in my head to you. Hopefully the list that you're, the viable list that you're seeing has gone through a similar process, right? Like hopefully the ideas have been vetted in some form or fashion. Not every single step in the process is always followed, right? And some of yeah, this, yeah, like I guess what I'm my experience has not been. There's definitely I've definitely we've definitely done content testing. I've definitely done it in the past. Mm -hmm. It's not every single time. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't okay. happen every single time. Okay, no, this is like like let's just assume we're gonna do all of the things, right? Like this is this is what should be happening, right? not everything happens and sometimes if you've been a product person for for long enough and you know the market well enough you can make a lot of these calls 
you don't have to do all of the things right mm, but you okay. you absolutely want to validate with users like and that is one of the biggest things that i think many product people don't do so that's another topic for another day but but yeah so so let's just assume that like okay. this is you know you. what what would happen right so once you get through okay this is viable this is a good thing in the market and we believe we can we can make something of it then you have to understand what the needs of the business are right so who does this impact um what will it take to create, launch, and maintain? Like all of those questions. And at some point you have to get to, and not every product person will do this, but you have to get to some sort of financial analysis, right? So a basic profit and loss, whatever it might be. I've done this throughout my career. Um, some places have demanded it, some places haven't. Um, but typically you wanna put something together to know like, yeah, we could actually make money from this. Um, cause yes, it may be feasible, but if we can't price it right or, or whatever, <laughs> whatever might be wrong that we can't make money from it, then we don't want to move forward with it. So, so some sort of financial analysis has to happen. And then we've, so we talked about resource. Well, we didn't talk about resources just yet, but at this point, at least in my opinion, so I've got everything. I know what I want to do. I have some idea of MVP. I know that it's viable. I'd like to sit down with engineering to say, here's what we know. Here are the things that I think should be included. Can we get an estimate, right? And this is that estimation process that always is so um, tense, can be tense, not always, but can be tense of like, well, you don't have enough, you don't have enough detail. I need more fidelity. I need to know X, Y, and Z. Some people can work with ambiguity. Some people can't is what I've found over time. From my perspective, at this point, I would try to provide as much fidelity as I can to get as close as an estimate as I can. But And fidelity you know, here is what to you? Fidelity for me at this point would be features and functionality of those features. I How think. they operate? How they operate? Like, I think what happens is, is at least that I've seen, is it, there be an understanding of generally, you know, the big features. The problem mm -hmm. is when you lay in design, there's yes. this implicit in complexity. Yes. Yeah, implicit interactions. Oh, we wanted a modal. Well, we didn't talk about a modal. Like those yeah. things aren't easy, right? They yeah. they they can be easy. They cannot be easy. Yeah. Um, typically it's like, I want a modal and I want it to do all the things and it needs to like do all kinds of cool stuff. And then it needs to close. And oh, by the way, if they don't not connect to the internet, it needs to save everything. Right. Yeah. Like you, you yep. and, and those aren't going to come from a product manager. Right. You're right. Yep. And, and the, the missing piece that I see a lot is I think you, you'll get these, like what you described here's, here's basic feature and functionality at that point there's another level of discovery because there there can't be gray area because as soon as i miss an error condition you're going to be like why is that bug there you know i just I mean? don't think it has to be a hundred percent i i totally agree with you in design and them increasing complexity over what could be potentially estimated at this MVP at this point? I don't so, think it needs about hundred percent. So, I don't think it needs to be a hundred percent. But you can't, you can't lock the timeline and then no. say, "I need." You know what I mean? Like there, no. there's, there's this, there's this dance that has to be in there because those questions, whether whether or not you answer them today or tomorrow, like they have to be answered. Yeah, absolutely. Right. What Absolutely. happens in an air condition? What are air conditions? What is reliability? Like the illities don't never come from product ever. Right. Yeah. Like trying to get how big is this thing going to be? What do we think it's going to look like? How many people are going to use it? Mm -hmm. Like, what do we think the growth is? Like, I think that's good from the financial model if people can read that on the assumptions of growth. Right. Mm -hmm. 
I think that's super important and that and that gets rid of a lot of stuff. But in the mm-hmm. absence of that, because most people don't do this, in the absence of that, you'll get very big patterns because they just don't know, but they can't get caught flat footed. Yeah. Right. Because it comes back to engineering. Well, why didn't you build this right? And you're like, what do you mean? Why didn't I build it right? I built it for yeah. what we knew. Yeah. Right. And there's yeah. this expectation that's above and beyond that, that I feel is unstated at times. And what do you think the expectation is? Not you, but in general, I believe mm-hmm. that here's here's this great future we want to build. Okay, cool. And then the engineers have a bunch of questions because they're, they're they're the ones that have to actually build the house. Like, what are the materials and this kind of stuff? And then it's like, well, mm-hmm. I don't know. You make a decision. And okay, well, like, okay, so we'll go make some design decisions, right? And there are... Mm-hmm. In absence of understanding how the feature intends to be used over time or what mm-hmm. we're going to do to maintain it, or even the circumstances in which we're building it changes every single one of those answers. Right? Like, so if you don't, if, if you can overbuild or underbuild and the, and the threading the needle is just right, like it's really pragmatic, you got to be really pragmatic about that. But it's Mm -hmm. really hard to be pragmatic about scale. Yes. Right. Because the assumption from the product manager may be, yeah, okay, I get it. Right. And I think this is where engineering needs to come with here and detentional, here are intentional decisions we're making. Here's the trade-off we're making and here's why and have that discussion. Mm -hmm. That's why Mm -hmm. I think the estimates get so messed up because I think people think, well, it's just software and it's in the cloud. It should just scale forever. And you're like, yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. No. Right. Like you still have to build the patterns to scale because yeah. the cost assumption. There's there's two costs here, the cost to run it and the mm-hmm. cost to build it. Right. Those are two different things. Right. Yeah. If I if I if I tell you it's going to be three hundred thousand dollars a year to run and that blows kind of margin or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, but if I tell you it's three hundred thousand dollars a year forever, that may be OK. And you're by year five. Right. 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 And so yeah. I think. They're they're in a tough spot, right? Because it's like you get all this stuff. Okay, cool. And this is where I think the empathy. You need something like the product folks need something to be able to feel confident that we that engineering has an understanding of that. It's just kind of interesting, kind of like it. I mean, a lot of people do this in t-shirt sizes, but those estimates are never right. Like no, the estimate's not, not going to be right. And I know no. we're jumping ahead, but the estimate's not going to be right. <laughs> until we task out the sprint yeah right you just don't know right you know because it in some cases you know if you've got a feature and it's got if you've got something you're building it's got a bunch of features and it doesn't really matter the order in which you deliver them and eventually when they're all done you deliver it that's one thing mm-hmm. but yeah I yeah think there's, so there's this implicit like there's just this kind of weird morass of things that go on in that in that grayer it's like interspeller space like no one knows what's out there right but yeah, like everybody yeah. has an opinion yeah. right? and it's like you know and it gets really frustrating because like uh, you know it from the engineering side from the product side because they're like we did all this work and we can't estimate on this we think it's enough mm-hmm. and like it turns into no gray area because engineers over time have been really well why didn't you why why didn't you think of this well like yeah. that's when you get the well that's what i was told to build yeah yeah right yeah 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 we should we should definitely i'm sure it's on the list but we should definitely talk about so what happens you know once you build it <laughs> like after it's built and then there's conversations about or you you've missed a you know a timeline or whatever it is right how do you deal with that but i think to the point of like where is design in this when I come to engineering and ask for an estimation, design was with us in the hypothesis and solution. They were with us in concept testing, right? So from the point of concept testing to the estimation, while they may not have had time to obviously create screens for the entire thing, they should have some idea about what they want to do. And in my opinion, it is important for the product manager to ensure that work is happening because if it's not happening and you get to this place and you don't have screens 
you can just guarantee that the estimate is trash and that it will multiply how many times just for the complexity of yeah, the Yeah, I wouldn't estimate. The... I mean, I wouldn't even yeah. estimate it. Like, but, it, but it's I've seen not it worth it, right? <laughs> I've seen it. Yeah, happen. I mean, like, it, it varies at levels. Like, I'll get asked, right? Like, at a leadership level, what do you think this is going to take? Right. Mm -hmm. my, my the expectation when I give that answer is that precision. The expectation right. is like, oh, my they they want to see me go, oh, my God, or mm, not that big a deal. Yeah. Right. Like, that's what they're looking for. Right. Yep. But like as part of this process. So I'm sitting on the other side right here. I intentionally want to give the low like I would almost I asked design early on give me the lowest fidelity things you have. Because even if you yeah. have that, there's a bunch of assumptions baked in there, right? And that's really par part of the problem with the estimation problem is there's just a ton of assumptions. Sorry. You have assumptions, I have assumptions, yeah. designers have assumptions, UX has an assumption, like everybody, and everybody's got an opinion, right? You show it for yeah. an exact, and next thing you know, this thing looks different, Sorry. right? And so I think getting that there, even if you can't get to like pixel perfect, yeah is 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 better from an earlier mm -hmm. standpoint right because you can fix the pixel perfect stuff later yeah like that's easy right yeah yeah so you know beyond the estimate right because that's like another stake in the ground product and design really need to partner together to understand kind of the level of complexity that was estimated and how to i want to say maintain that but how to kind of keep that in mind as they design the final thing right um and i've worked with designers who just go crazy and increase complexity and add features and like all of this stuff and then i've worked with other designers who are great partners and understand the need that we have to, you know, rein in complexity and, you know, meet, meet our goal, whatever that might be. So it, it, it just varies. If it's a brand new thing and there's no patterns established, that's even, you know, more tricky, but if there are patterns established and that hopefully that's easier, that, that helps in the estimation process. That's when you have the dreaded design system discussion, right? Yes. Like we're, where nothing exists, there are no patterns. Yeah. And then we want to start to modularize it, which is the right. Yeah. I, 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 in theory, I totally agree with that. In practice, it's really hard to do up front. It's oh, like yeah. an optimization post launch. Exactly. Right. Yep. Like, I, yep. I totally, because sometimes what happens, and I've been in some of these systems we'll have an agreed upon design system and then there'll be one-off things. Well, if there's a one-off thing that breaks the design system, the thing is broken. It doesn't make it faster. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, I, you know, I, I am a big proponent of what you're saying, which is push design all the way up front, have mm -hmm. everybody ride along. If mm -hmm. I can get engineers up there or a solution engineer up there, yeah. even better. Yeah, it's not always feasible because you don't always have those resources. But like, yeah, but you need I, somebody I'm... like if I just have somebody for a gut check, that's enough for me sometimes, right? Like, yeah, so it I is kind that... of like what you explain is like, okay, here's what I'm thinking. I just want to see your initial reaction because if this is giant, then I know, okay, I need to go back. If it's if if it's giant and I'm expecting something smaller, right? I need to go back and think about this, right? But but I am. A seasoned product person, right? Mm -hmm. A seasoned product person might not know to do that uh, just yet, right? So, yeah, I I look for those kind of cues just throughout conversation. Um, I love to have somebody ride along the whole time from engineering, but to your point, that's not always possible. Um, and you know, the whole time could be twenty five percent of their time. It may not even be a hundred percent of their time, but nonetheless, it's important to get engineering and design in the deal up front so that everybody's on the same page. We're all working towards the same goals, understand what we're doing. It's just easier. So, all right. So if we've got the estimate, then we know some sense of size. We know some sense of resources, some sense Does of cost. Does that go back into the model? 
It like should. you built absolutely. this model. Okay. Yeah. So there's an investment, should. right? Yeah. Yep. So, so yeah, essentially the investment to create it, to build it. And then the other thing that product should be doing in this time of product viability is defining our favorite term objectives and key results. And mm, I know you don't love them. I know many people don't love them, but the, the point I don't of love them. I don't like them when they're, <laughs> I don't like them when it's your to-do list of your job. Well, right? yeah. Like, I'm, yes. It needs to be a true objective and it needs to be measurable key results, not like yep. binary key results. It needs to be a measurable key result. Yes, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, so that should be something that product is working on. Like they should be thinking about that from the jump, right? Okay. This is my solution. What should this thing be able to do? Right. What am I trying to achieve with this? Um, so those would be your objectives. And then your key results are, how am I going to measure my success towards this objective? Right. And call it what you want, goals, KPIs, whatever you need some way to know whether or not you've done the thing you thought you would do. How do you know you've won? Right? Like that's really what yeah, it if is. You don't measure how do you it, know you don't... you're on a path to winning? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, so I prefer KPIs because I feel like objectives and key results ladders up to something different, right? Like, but I mean, like... it typically does. It typically does. Right. Because OKRs are pushed as an organizational wide thing. Right. But it, the way that I've learned to use those from consulting is just a matter of like, what are you trying to achieve and how are we going to yeah, measure yeah. this? I, right? think, like, I think it's a good framework for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so yeah, we should have some sort of goal, some sort of way that we're going to measure whether or not we're getting to that goal. And then there's, a feature prioritization that has to happen at some point, right? This initial prioritization. So you've gone through concept testing and you have an idea what MVP should be. Now, how are you going to prioritize these things that need to get done? Um, and that can happen a number of ways. Um, there are lots of prioritization frameworks and many product managers hate prioritization frameworks, but I'm of the belief that prioritization frameworks provide ways to have great conversations about priority. I should know though, as a product manager, because I've done all this work, I know what the market is, I know what the competition's doing, I know what the problem is, I feel confident in how I'm gonna solve this, I should be able to tell you how things should be prioritized. But we know as product people that there's all kinds of nuances that get layered into that. Leadership, leaderships, leadership gets layered in, other people get layered in, like, opinions get thrown in. No framework is objective, but it can help you have a conversation about prioritization. So you want this initial prioritization and then you can create your first draft of your roadmap, <laughs> which is purely, in my opinion, purely directional. And that's the way I always position that initial draft. Um, so that roadmap should be informed by that prioritization um effort that you did and then sequenced in a way where you're the value is continually being delivered to a user right that's the whole point of this i'm solving problems for users i should be delivering that value to users and that's the way the roadmap should be should be sequenced but the other thing that i like to do with my initial roadmap is actually take that to engineering especially if this is a brand new product that we've never built before I want to understand, are there things, is there a sequence in which this work needs to be done because we don't have the capability to create an account, whatever it might be, right? Otherwise known as dependency mapping. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I like to have a conversation, um, typically with a solutions person to understand like what needs to happen first, second, third, and then how do I work that sequence into the roadmap that I have? And I think there has to be some give and take there um, with product and engineering and product. If you're building a brand new thing, you're going to have to kind of let that sequence from engineering rule a bit of the front potentially, but then eventually you get what you, 
what you need. So, so that is product desirability, feasibility, and viability. What, in your opinion, is still missing from that? I guess maybe I have a different perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Like how, so there's this notion of alignment. I think there, there should be an opportunity of product to have a bunch of different ideas thrown into the hat that are potentially fit the strategic framework from which the company wants to Mm -hmm. drive the business, right? Because at the end of the day, like we're here to get paid. We're here to drive this business forward. Right. So like the ideas need align, right? And like they're definitely there's like this and I don't know, you know, in, in kind of what you're thinking about. I'm I'm you know, I I sat very early in the process where it's like, what are the ideally you want good ideas already in there, so it's just a matter of what are the right ones to pick or what are the what where are the best we want to make or are there strategic objectives in those Mm -hmm. and then go do the process you're talking about because there's, there's like prioritization on top of prioritization on top of prioritization, right? If the strategic goals and objectives are not clear for how the company intends to grow, right? Because Mm -hmm. this is all really about growth or maintaining kind of the current growth, right? Mm-hmm. How do you how do you get that fuel before you get the rest of the stuff, right? Because as you get further down the funnel, it gets more and more expensive. Yes. Right? Like once you've to estimate, you're, I wouldn't say it's super expensive and it's okay to still like cut it off there. Mm-hmm. But like once you start writing code, you're kind of, say committed. It's sunk cost now. Like you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're evaporating dollars because now yep. you're not doing something else. And you've chosen to do this. Not that that's wrong. It's just I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around how you go from strategic objective to that validation of that validation of those items against whether or not they strategically fit the importance. Because sometimes you get the one-off ideas and you're like, where did this come from? Yeah. Yes. And yes. And you know, so I think from you know the objective how that gets cascaded down i think is super important i think there needs mm-hmm. to be feedback loop there though because i think it does it, it helps if you've got product managers thinking about these things and they're stacking they're stacking the papers on the decks with a bunch of ideas or you know kind of ideas that we should be thinking about mm-hmm. right how do you get to the ideas that are strategically important because there's always going to be good ideas yeah right yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's, it is the responsibility of the product manager to understand what the strategic strategic objectives of the organization are and provide ideas to support those, right? Feature functionality to support that. So um, if we were talking about, I guess, in this process, you, I would want to know... I would want to know if I'm solving a problem. I would want to know then, right? Like, what is the problem? And does this problem align? Like, will it support any of our strategic objectives? And I think you would know at that point. You could know at that point. You could. It, it might be knowable. I'm not sure the question yeah. always asked. Right? No, it's, it's not. No, it's not. It, it's absolutely and I think not. that's that's the thing is is that's where frustration just kind of seeps into every part yeah. of this because what happens is things will start at some point it shows up on the radar of of some leadership to talk about where are we where are we spending time and what are we doing and the next question is what is that mm-hmm Right. And this is kind of like the managing up piece. And that's where I think there's this, like, you've got to manage, like, it isn't just like you wake up one day and you go, I decided I want to go try to build this feature and figure out the feasibility. Yes, that happens. I would say that's probably 10% of the time. But a, a lot of that, at least for me, right? At least for me has always, you pre warm that for months before you ever get there with leadership, right? So that, that, you're 
you're understanding like, hey, I had this idea and it, it doesn't really cost anything at that point. It's just an idea. Hey, I had this idea. What do you think? How does it fit? You know, and you can go talk to people like impromptu around the water cooler, I guess, you know, on Slack these days in a huddle, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, because that's the, that's, that's where it really, really hurts the entire, like everybody in that entire line. Right. And I've had to deliver those messages. I've been on the, on the receiving end of those messages. It's super deflating. No. Because it just feels like misalignment. It's like, well, we got this far. Now all of a sudden we're deciding not to do it. Yeah. And, you know, that's why, like, I guess maybe I'm old school here. I try to front load as much of that socialization so early in the process that mm-hmm. if, if people just tell me it's a dumb idea, it's probably, I don't want to say I've ever been told it's a dumb idea. It's just not the mm-hmm. idea at the right time. The ideas have to be at the right time in order for them to really Absolutely. be. Like, it has to be. The organization has to be receptive, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. you know, there's definitely opportunity. And I think it's just building that catalog of things, right? Mm-hmm. May not be what you're working on today, but like, what are the catalog of things? So when, when, when the time comes up, you've got a catalog of things that you can you can turn to, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing, and I don't know where or when or if we'll talk about it, but how product managers um receive requests or are given direction um is a huge a huge deal i mean i could give you an earful about what i'm currently experiencing and it's not unusual um so you know in the best of circumstances like this is what a product person could achieve right in the not so best of circumstances they should still have their stuff together in order to be able to know this is a worthy problem we're solving know that it's viable right like you should still be able to check these boxes if even mentally right because if somebody's coming to you and saying you need to do this you should be asking why right does this align to our objectives? Like, what is the reason I'm doing this versus it's just a harebrained idea? Yeah, it comes Many down to... Many of us to, don't do that. I, I think it comes down to how that desire, and I'll, I'll say desire turns into telling and telling turns into I'm just going to do what you told me to do, right? Like, how do you turn that into and have a discussion around? Like, there's this vulnerability and leadership that needs to happen when that's happening right because i think those are all the right questions i think you at times you do have to disagree and commit right you Mm -hmm. even if you can't see it you've got to trust that your leader is positioning you in the right way to be successful or to make the team successful right like yes there were definitely times where because you you won't always have all the information it only gets worse the further you get down in the organization, right? Yep. Um, for you know, either companies share it and people don't people don't quite understand that. I mean, like reading P and Ls or reading, you know, budgets and plans is not something that like people are not everybody's interested in that. And some people, mm-hmm. you know, you should, right? Because that's really, really helps you understand where the business is, how well the business is doing how they what their goals yep. are because those are all laid out yep right they should at be. the end of the day they, well uh, i think for the most part they are yeah um you know and i think stage of companies you know the stage of companies yes you know the bigger the company yes. the more planning they do yes. the smaller the company the less planning they do yep and then you got this like wide range of like i don't europe to australia kind of <laughs> continuum of <laughs> of everything in between yeah and i think it's I, the right leader should be able to give that context asking the right questions right if somebody's not asking questions like why are we doing this that's a red that that is a big red flag to me because because i want to make yeah. sure right so we used to use this term check for understanding mm-hmm. so if i tell you right or we have a discussion about it you mm-hmm. got to come back and check for understanding Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I'm asking? Yes or no. Right. Yeah. And I think 
that's where the objective things, you know, the outcomes really matter in those discussions. Yeah. Right. Because like, you might have a good idea for a feature. Let's put it, you know, let's talk about what that means. And I just don't like, if it's, that's what's so fascinating to me. And I don't know where you are on this, but like how it goes from the objective customer need, like it, it can be, it's really in service of revenue. <laughs> it's really in service Usually. of the at the end of the day, right? Yeah. So like, but we do want to, the, the only way we do that is by solving customer problems. So how do we, how does that really happen? Right. And I wish there was a bake off. Like Pandora used to do this thing. What would, it's like, what would be dumb for us not to do in 90 days and do those mm -hmm. things? Because mm -hmm. they were in a super constrained environment, right? Like mm -hmm. all their money was, it would come in and then go directly out to, you know, yeah. Universal label, record label, yeah, right, right. So mm -hmm. they had to be super smart about this. And in super constrained environments, I still think this stuff is possible. It may not look as great as what everybody yeah. like. It's not going to look like Apple level awesome, right? right? But like, that's why people over index on precision here, right? Yes, and, yes, and and to a point that's detrimental to getting the actual idea done. It's so yes. like. Where's the design? So we're not done with them. Right. Like, and it can be anywhere. It can be engineering. It can be design. It can be product management. It can be any, it can be anywhere in that continuum. Yeah. Right. And it's, what do we need to answer to move to the next phase? Like I'm a big mm -hmm. fan of being pragmatic about it. Yeah. Well, and that's why I think, I mean, from my perspective, it's important for product people to understand the principles of product management and most of the time you may be doing those on the fly right like you may have a moment to say is this worth doing right like a leader comes to you and says okay katie we need to do xyz and i'm already thinking like, okay, how's that aligning? Is this something we should be doing? Is this something I've been thinking of, right? Like some of these things just happen as you gain experience and they don't take days and weeks, right? But if you know the principles, you can do it. I think you can do it faster and it, it doesn't have to be precise. We always want it to be precise. We want it to be perfect when it goes out, but the faster you get something out, the faster you're learning faster you're improving, right? Like that's ultimately where we should be. The number of products in my career or the number of features in my career that I've launched that I've never touched again happens way too often. And it's not just me, it's it's <laughs> everywhere, right? So we say, you know, for us, we and, and I'm sure you've heard this too, it's like MVP, okay, we're gonna launch MVP, but we're never gonna touch it again. So we just need to get better at how we do this. And that's why I say like, how do you judge somebody that does product good? Because it, I, I have my opinion of what good product is, but it just, there's so much nuance to it. If you understand the principles though, I, I believe you can do it and you can be successful I'm with it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of working on your craft, yep. understanding, like, understanding when to break the rules, what has to, like, there are some non-negotiables. Yeah. Right? But there's a lot, I, I, I've seen a lot of places where it's not... Scrum is the best. Scrum is the best I've seen. Meaning, we have to have these ceremonies, and these ceremonies must happen, and we have to do these things in this particular way. And that was mm -hmm. never what it was in my mind. Never what it was really about, mm -hmm. right? In inspect and adapt daily. How are you de-risking constantly? That's yeah. like, right? Oh, we don't need documentation. We're agile. No, that's not what it's. <laughs> I mean, even if you read the manifesto, that's not what it says. But like, yeah. No. 
you know, like self-documenting code. No, that's not true either. Right. So like the more you understand the craft, the more you know how to play with the rules to yes. achieve the appropriate outcome. Yes. Right. And a lot of people are just going through, here's the process I need you to go through and just moving things from bucket to bucket to bucket. And I think that's, that's where like you truly unlock the potential of those particular roles when they're mm -hmm. like that. Right. Because yeah. like you can flex up to here's the most pristine thing and here's everything we need to know and blah, 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 blah. But you can also flex down to here's what I know I bare minimum need in order to get, in order to get this to where I need it to be. Right. Yep. And it's all yep. based on what am I trying to do? Am I trying to learn? Are we refining? Right. Yep. And, and being able to understand and, and kind of talk through those conversations because not everybody understands that. Right. And I no. think that's super important. No. And you know, I, I feel like I have been fortunate in my career that I've been in positions where I've been able to, to work on my craft and hone my craft. And in my early career, I mean, you know, some of those places were just feature factories and you're just there to make sure it gets delivered. That still happens quite a bit. And people think that is what product is, but it's so far from what it should be. Thanks for listening to our chat on what product is. We hope you found this useful. Next episode, Chris will break down what engineering is and why product people should care. Thanks for listening to the Product versus Engineering podcast. You can learn more at prodverseng.com. That's P-R-O-D-V-S-E-N-G.com. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss an episode and leave us a rating or review if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.